0: The federal government's massive spending budget has passed its third reading in the House of Commons, and while it may seem it's a done deal, the Liberals still need to pass the Budget Implementation Act, and it will be a confidence vote, which means the Grits could still lose it and we'd be headed to the polls. The NDP has been propping up the government so far, but it'll be interesting to see whether they stand with the Liberals or pull the plug on Parliament. The key question, will they? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. The first federal budget in more than two years promises big spending to get Canada back on the road to recovery. The Liberals' habits said the pandemic has exposed some glaring gaps between the haves and the have-nots. $100 million in new spending with a focus on a national childcare program eventually to get to $10 a day. It also comes heavy with debt and deficit. Now our unpublished vote question asked you, do you expect the federal budget to be passed or will it lead to a federal election? And mm-hmm. just uh, under 53% said yes. Uh, 37.7% said no, and less than 10% unsure. Now, however you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, or on our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and email your MP to tell them why. Now, joining us to discuss the possibility of an election is Stephanie Plott from the Center for Security Intelligence and Defense Studies at Carleton University. Jack Jedwab is the president and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies. David Coletto, CEO of Abacus Data. And Carl Narenberg is the parliamentary correspondent with rabble.ca. Now, uh, first off, a slim majority of our viewers and listeners feel or felt it would pass, and it's gone that far yet so far. It's not a done deal. Now, Carl, do you feel the implementation uh, budget or the Implementation Act will fail and that will send us to the election? No, there's no chance for that. No, OK. There's no, there's the zero chance that it's going to fail. I mean, had there been
1: a poison pill in there, I mean, sometimes governments, including this government, have put uh, measures in implementation bills uh, that weren't in the budget, sometimes controversial measures, and that created trouble and that could create pro- a problem. So far, nobody has identified it. I have to confess, I have it sitting on my uh, computer here. It's many, many, many pages and haven't gone through with a fine tooth comb. But nobody has signaled that there's some secret uh, hidden part. So having passed the budget, I mean, the point of the budget is describes what they're going to do. The implementation bill is the nitty gritty steps. The budget says what meal you can prepare. The implementation bill is the actual rest, step-by-step recipe but we're supposed to be the same meal. Having said, I want this meal, you, you know, it's only if the recipe doesn't, if they just add a new dish in, if they throw in something that isn't in the original menu that people get uh, upset, but there's no reason for them not to vote for, it would be ridiculous for a party to oppose what they've already supported in principle.
0: David, what's the lay of the land in terms of uh, your numbers, your latest numbers? Well, um, we've been
2: seeing for, for a number of weeks now the Liberals you know having a, a pretty clear advantage when it comes to how people would vote in an election. Um, you know they're, they're anywhere between six to eight points ahead of the Conservatives and that's really built off of strength in Ontario, Quebec and British Columbia, and Atlanta, Canada. So you know they they're, they're riding higher than they've been at other points. Um, in the past few months. But what we're seeing in some of the numbers is perhaps a softening, in fact, that the budget, while not overly rejected by Canadians, it wasn't loved either, right? I think this is one of those budgets where even a lot of supporters of the government looked at it and said, you know, we don't love the fact that we're running such high deficits. Um, We don't love the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic still, but we understand why you've done much of what you've done. So, You know, we're looking at an environment where the the prime minister, the government's approval rating are are still stronger than they were before the last federal election, um, but still not at that level where you might be really confident that you're going to win a majority if you did, you know, either pull the plug or one of the opposition parties or more than one of the opposition parties, you know, decided to bring down the government. That all being said, um, despite the strength that the liberals have, have had, um, I think one of the reasons why none of the opposition parties, I think, are really keen to go to an election is that there's no obvious path for Mr. O'Toole and the Conservatives. Um, You know, he's had this um, really challenging period since he's become leader where the more people seemingly get to know him, Mr. O'Toole, the more they dislike him, right? In fact, when we ask people who would you prefer to be the Prime Minister after the next election, he's well, well behind Mr. Trudeau and actually almost statistically tied with Mr. Singh, the NDP leader, who is the most popular leader in the country in terms of net favorables, but that hasn't fully translated into seeing the NDP rise. Their numbers are, are going up and some polls had them at close to 20%, but they're nowhere near a, a point where they can confidently say there's a lot to gain and little to lose if we decide to, to, to support, you know, pulling down the, uh, the government. So, you know, this, so so that, that that's the environment. But I think it's important also to keep in mind that I don't actually think a lot of Canadians are paying that much attention to their political choices at the moment. Um, almost uh, 26% or just over 26% of Canadians didn't even know there was a federal budget. Uh, only 9% were following it really closely, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic in most parts of this country. We're still in the third wave. It's getting bad. It's, it, it feels like it's you know, maybe getting better because of the vaccine rollout, but there's still lockdowns in most places, and so the last thing I think people are thinking about right now is is really who they want to be um, government right now, and and that means there's potentially volatility even if an election were to be
0: called anytime soon. Uh, you know, Jack, Aaron O'Toole hasn't really fired up the uh, you know the troops as the new leader, as David pointed out. Do the conservatives get behind him, or do they? You know possibly look at going for another leadership?
3: Well, not uh, in the uh, short to medium term. He's your candidate. Uh, The Conservatives have some challenges, not only with respect to their uh, leader, but also with respect to how well they're faring in certain parts of the country. Uh, Doug Ford has some very serious challenges in Ontario at the moment, uh, as does surprisingly to Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney has some challenges, uh, in alberta at this particular time. So not that those are areas at least in the latter case, alberta where the liberals hope to pick up any additional support or they may you know scratch some more support there, but that's probably not an area the liberals are particularly focused on in terms of what their path to majority government is. It's going to be in Ontario, the you know atlantic provinces, uh, parts of quebec and, and british columbia. Uh, but the Conservatives have those challenges in terms of, you know, getting their people on the ground to mobilize around Erin O'Toole when their people have to, you know, also protect their uh, provincial positions, uh, particularly in Ontario and possibly in Alberta uh, against uh, resurging uh, NDP in Alberta. So, uh, I think David and Carl both, uh, you know, were correct in terms of the budget issue not being the trigger on the one hand, and on the other hand, the Big issue that's going to dominate people's minds in terms of what they uh, choose to do is going to be the way in which the COVID crisis was managed, uh, you know, for better and mm-hmm. for worse. Uh, uh, Mister Ford's trying to make the case, trying to push the blame over to the to the federal Liberal side, and that's very challenging, you know, uh, since uh, right now the polling numbers, uh, both I suspect with David and the polling company we work with, which is Léger, uh aren't uh, showing uh, good stuff for Mister Ford at the moment, so.
0: Stephanie, how do you see an increase in vaccinated Canadians having an impact on an upcoming election? You know, when you have older Canadians, they're going to be vaxxed first, so they'll obviously be feeling a little more comfortable. Do you see that as a benefit for any of the parties?
4: Uh, Well, it's obviously certainly a benefit to the general population, right? We want people to Mm -hmm. be as vaccinated as quickly as possible. But um, I think people, they know that the vaccination is sort of a provincial thing. I went for my vaccine the other day. There was clear signs that it was the city of Ottawa that was doing the vaccination. So I don't think people necessarily blame Trudeau for the vaccination, although he is an easy target, right? Because there is this universal scramble all around the world. Everybody wants these vaccines as quickly as possible. But um, yeah, I mean, I have to sort of go with David. I just don't think that this budget, as much fanfare as there, there was about it, I just don't think the regular average Canadian even noticed. They may have seen it on the news or glanced at it online, but you know, nobody's sort of combing through it, looking for anything that will affect them in particular. Um, Obviously the daycare got a lot of uh, play and a lot of pizzazz, but as we know, these, these, this Mm -hmm. has been attempted in the past, right? So, um, and if any, you know, I can just see the ads right now, you know, talking about the vaccine rollout being equivalent to trying to implement national daycare, right? You know, like I can just see the ads right now and all the previous liberal attempts to uh, bring out a national daycare strategy. So these things kind of write themselves.
0: Okay, Carl. Uh, I- interesting that, it's something that uh, Jack brought up too. That uh, when you look at the premiers of, uh, of Ontario and uh, Alberta, is certainly having difficulty right now. And in Alberta's case, you're going to be losing two very prominent mayors this year as well, in in Nenshi and and, and, and uh, uh What I'm wondering is, what kind of an impact do you see that having on a on, on a federal election?
1: Well, the, the last federal election, the, the Liberals did take advantage of Doug Ford's unpopularity at the time. I mean, Doug Ford was a bit like a bull in a China shop. As soon as he got elected, he started alienating people. I think his theory of government was do the hard and unpopular stuff quickly and get it out of the way. You've got a four-year mandate, you got a majority, so it doesn't matter if you annoy or alienate uh, a lot of people in your first year or your first the first year and a half. but what he didn't calculate was this was going to hurt his conservative brethren federally. So the, the Liberals took advantage of the fact that they hit a really low point for Doug Ford in Ontario. And that saved their, saved their bacon because they weren't doing well in many other parts of the country. And they were way down and they, had all kinds of, they were fighting back against all kinds of scandals. Um, so if that happened last time, uh, I mean, everything had been going well until it stopped going well for uh, Doug Ford. Uh, I haven't seen much. Maybe David Coletto can can help us here, or Jack. I haven't seen much polling to show really. There was a bit right away, right after the huge problem where Doug Ford had to come out tearfully and apologize and, and, and try to then change his mind about a bunch of a bunch of moves that he took. But I haven't seen much in terms of where people who they want to vote for. I know that most Ontarians, many of them say they'd like to vote Liberal. Then they say, Oh yeah, well." Who's the leader of the Liberal Party in Ontario? They don't know. I think I can't <laughs> remember his So, but I mean, liberal the Liberal brand is very, very strong in Canada. They do well even when you don't know who their leader is. Um, and, um, but I think that, uh, there you know, it, it would be a factor, I, I think, that the, that, that the current Liberals would love to take advantage of. The problem is the very reason that Doug Ford is unpopular now is the reason they can't, do what I believe the Liberals have been wanting to do, which is to have a budget, which is almost seems like a broad spectrum platform for the next few years and use that as a springboard for an election. Well, they can't do that uh, because the pandemic prevents them from doing that because it would really look bad to hold uh, an election right now with the pandemic really going so badly in so many parts, parts of the country. I mean, it would just really seem dangerous and unsafe However much you can do this virtually it, it inevitably you know you can't do the you can't do an entire election process and campaign 100% virtually it's going to annoy a lot, it would annoy people like me I'm thinking like, I don't even want people coming to my door you know but bo- I don't yeah. want anybody bothering me right now I want to stay safe I, want, I don't want to be the the soldier who got his uh, letter telling him he was going home from the theater of war then to step outside the barracks and get shot I mean you know I just assume I got my vaccine, we're sort of in a bad way, I'd say let's all calm down and stay really tight and really focused and, and get and get through to the summer. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I know that uh, Frank Graves, a colleague of David Calero's, uh, speculates that, well, that maybe the government will go for an election in the summer. They're doing so well in the polls. They have Ford to campaign against, kind of, or use him as, as a foil. I don't remember. Maybe somebody can remind me. I don't remember a July or August election in Canada. We've had forced elections in the winter because governments have fallen, so they had no choice right. but to hold elections in the winter. Normally it's spring or fall in this country. I don't I can't, and I've seen elections going like the elections I was aware of go back to 1957, folks. That's a long time ago. I don't remember any that were held in July or August. I stand to be corrected. So Ford for the the reason for is a problem. Uh, would be a problem for the conservatives and an asset for the liberals It's also the reason that they can't actually have an election now. So they can't really take advantage. And by the time they get to an election, maybe Ford's position will be somewhat better politically.
0: Right. Damned if you do or damned if you don't then. Uh, David, I'm kind of curious now, there's been a name that sort of propped up or popped up in the last few months here, in particular in liberal circles, and that is Mark Carney. And where do you see him possibly working into a federal election?
2: Well, there's there's some you know there's there's some rumors that if he runs, he wants to run in Ottawa South. But uh, David McGinty, the the current MP, you know from the McGinty clan, mm-hmm. um, has no I don't think has any plans of, of, of freeing that seat up for for Mr. Carney. Um, you know I, I don't know if he's going to run this time. But there's no doubt, given you know his his activism now within the party and really putting on the Liberal label pretty pretty uh, overtly that he has interest in, in entering federal politics, right? When you ask Canadians, their views of, of Mr. Carney, um, he's, he's not really a well-known quantity despite how high profile he is here in Ottawa and in sort of political circles, being the former, uh, governor of the bank of Canada, former governor of the bank of England. Um, he's, he's very much, I would say, and I don't want to maybe doom his political career by, by putting him in the same boat as Mr. Ignatieff, Michael Ignatiev, but he falls in the same kind of boat, which is, elite yeah. level folks people who, are, who pay a lot of attention would know who he is um, but otherwise he's he's not really that well known now what people know of him they generally like there's no reason for anyone not to like it but I think there's some risk in it in that although he you know he he we're in, we're still at a time where people you know are, are are having mixed views on what I'll call elites right and and we mm-hmm. despite the fact that Mr. Trudeau was re-elected in 2019, you know populism and this idea of anti-elitism is still something that's brewing underneath the surface and so i'm not entirely sure that the environment is right now or might even be right in the next few years for a former you know head of the bank of canada to become you know the the standard bearer for the liberals but but i think that that remains to be seen he's he's getting a lot of kudos and his book is is being well received by people in the know the question is does that trickle down to 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 Right. Average people who say, you know, is he going to do good by me if he does become uh, either an MP, and minister or maybe one day uh, prime minister?
0: Uh, Jack, let's take a look at Quebec. Is the bloc vulnerable right now?
2: Uh, is the bloc? Uh, not
3: terribly vulnerable. I think it's pretty much the status quo for them. Uh, you know, they're going to continue to sort of play on the success of Francois well Legault. He's very, very popular right now. Uh, he looks like his handling of COVID was ingenious, even though Quebec has a uh, has the highest uh, sort of mortality rate uh, in the country. Uh, but all the polls are giving him very high marks, and uh, I think sort of François Blanchet serves a bit on that. And uh, Liberals have some challenges in Quebec. Uh, the identity issues are also ever present, and now the language issue is getting more play, and that's an issue the Liberals are always going to find a bit challenging. Mm. And so uh, and you know, Mr. Legault seems ready to put out a couple more traps for the liberals, which will help the block uh, You know, whether it's the notwithstanding clause invocation, going the Supreme Court on Bill Twenty One, uh, where you know the decision was a bit of a hybrid decision that is unpopular with uh, everyone except the judge who wrote it, who probably really thinks that you know he, he he sent he sent Mr. Legault a bad one on that. You know, so but politically, you know, it's I don't think it's going to uh, enhance. Uh, Mr. Trudeau's chances or hurt the block's chances. Uh, let me just add, by the way, on another note, I second what Dave was saying, but you know, he did the, but Martin, the Mark Carney issue and, and uh, I, I actually had a flashback when Carl was talking about the previous elections about Stockwell Day. I'm beginning to mm-hmm. feel that Erin O'Toole's the Liberals equivalent of like Stockwell Day. You know, not only that, you know, the Liberals, I remember this period, they really like Stockwell Day. It was like they were actually starting campaign Liberals for Stockwell Day. You know, uh, and I'm beginning to feel the same with Aaron O'Toole. Like, there's a group of liberals, liberals for Aaron O'Toole. They, they like him. They want him to run. He's like a good candidate for for the liberals to run against.
0: oh interesting. But okay, let's let's keep in in Quebec for a second. What about the People's Party, uh, Maxime Bernier? Are they going to make any headway, or or do you think people have tuned them out?
3: Maxine, who? Sorry.
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> oh, I, I think they're they're, doing think they're The Green Party's doing better than them right now. Their their their
2: their leaders more recognizable. So. But, but can I just add, I, I think we've seen this in Alberta. We've seen it in Ontario provincially. I think there is risk, though, um, of splintering of some of the Conservative base, right? The Conservatives, if they lose one or two points to Max Bernier or the Maverick party, right, this this upstart kind of separatist party out west, that's enough to, to, to basically eliminate any chance they have of winning, right? And so Erin O'Toole came out with what some have described the most ambitious climate change plan that the Conservatives have ever put out climate activists would say, well, it's not nearly enough, but that angered a lot of conservatives who said, you promised you weren't gonna bring in a carbon tax. And while what you've proposed is not really a carbon tax. I describe it more like a loyalty program for, for buying gas. It's still a price on carbon, right? Correct. And and when you tie that into some of the things some of the provincial leaders are doing, um, Doug Ford, when he made that press conference a few weeks ago, that, that really turned the tide of his support. He did, he was both at once angered the left and the right at a single moment and and so I don't think you know I, I don't think max bernie has any chance of winning any seats across the country but if he takes one point two points here that that's 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 a death knell i think for for the conservatives and so keeping that family together while at the same time appealing to broader coalition is job number one for aaron O'Toole and he's failing at it right now i think based on the polling numbers we're seeing
0: Uh, Stephanie, in in terms of an an election, um, the blame game gets thrown around a lot. We talked about that, you know, in Ontario, the Conservatives blame uh, the Liberals and the travel and Liberals blame the Ontario government for the same thing. How much is that going to have an impact on the election whenever it is?
4: Oh, I think it'll actually I think with especially with these variants running around, it'll definitely be a talking point that gets brought up again and again and again. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you saw the article this morning in the Globe and Mail, they talked about how the variants are actually spreading with domestic travel. They're not spreading with international travel. And so, um, you know, where where do you put the yardstick, right? Do you stop mm-hmm. all flights from Calgary? Do you stop like, um, you know, this is something that frankly should have been done months ago is restricting air travel, but uh, that wasn't done and here we are today. And now we have to worry about these variants and how quick they are spreading, but you know, obviously the vaccine is going to mitigate that. Uh, but if it's if it's okay, I just wanted to uh, maybe ask, a, I don't know, I don't want to sure, like leave sure, the show. But I do have a, a quick go question. Ahead. And I was just wondering what the panel thought about sort of the mayoral effect that may kind of pop out of this election. I don't know about you guys, but every time I turn on my TV, I see a mayor or I see, uh, you know, like John Tory, or I see, you know, just people at the local level, because these are kind of our COVID superstars is these local health officials. And um, I was just wondering if that had any, ever had an impact on the Canadian election, but I can certainly name now a lot of mayors that I never knew previously.
0: Well, I do remember John Tory couldn't win a seat to get into the House was a, uh, in <laughs> Queens Park for quite a bit. I do recall that, I have been around for a while. But uh, panel, <laughs> what do you think?
1: I'm well, sorry. let me just jump in, I'll just jump in quickly and say that uh, I think it's a good thing Canadians in my life, I remember, I've seen a lot of times when people would vote in federal and provincial elections in fairly high numbers. I mean, our participation rate at those elections is generally quite a bit high, much higher than the Americans, for instance, almost always. But that, you know, it was, uh, you'd wonder when you went to your vote in your municipal election, whether there had been a fire drill and everybody had been run for the exits because the place was empty. And we had very low turnout. I think that I noticed even here in Ottawa, even without a strong competition against uh, our current mayor, who is sort of like a permanent incumbent, uh, Jim Watson. Um, participation has gone up a lot. The, the, the whole air field is more com- uh, more competitive. But I do think that most municipal people in Canada are wisely try to avoid identifying in a partisan way. In this way, we're very, very different from our American neighbors where, uh, and maybe other countries in Europe, where your political affiliation runs right up and down. You're the same federally, the state or provincial level, and municipally. It doesn't work that way here. It even doesn't work that way provincially. I remember uh, a a European diplomat asking me when Jean Charest uh, became leader of the Liberal Party, jumped from the Conservative Party leadership in Ottawa, the Liberal Party leadership in Quebec. She said, why did he switch parties? I said, he didn't switch parties. There is no Conservative Party in Quebec. All the Conservatives in Quebec have to be either Parti Québécois or Liberal. I mean, that's the only option for them. They don't have a, a branch of Quebec, and, and 80% of them opt for the Liberals. So he's a Federalist. He's naturally going to like the Liberals. But the people from other countries don't understand that, and people are surprised that our our mayors are almost all nonpartisan, they are almost all... Well, we know where they stand. Many of them are, yeah. you know, and then she seems to be lean towards the liberals. Jim Watson was a provincial liberal cabinet minister. John Tory was once leader of the Conservatives in Ontario, but hardly on the same wavelength as, uh, as uh, Doug Ford. So uh, I don't think there's a huge spillover from uh, municipal to federal or even provincial politics, a little bit provincial, but very little federal. All
0: right. Uh, Jack, you had mentioned something about the, the green party and, and you know, the, the PPC's, Pulling a little below them. How important is it for them to get Anime, Anime Paul elected?
3: Oh, I think it'd be very important for them to get uh, her elected, and uh, they need, again, more visibility and more branding. I mean, they're still, I mean, if they're competing with any party right now, it'd be with the NDP, right? And uh, right now, uh, that's uh, it's, it's going to be tough competition for them, right? So, uh, I would think going forward, but yeah, they absolutely need their leader elected, and well, they've got a really good leader in terms of her ability to communicate, uh, she's bilingual, uh, and she presents a good image. It's going to be about her, basically, I think, to a great right. extent. Uh, and uh, we'll see what type of performance she has when she gets in those uh, national debates. That's what she needs, actually. She do, needs do, debates to give her more visibility.
0: Do the other parties run candidates against her? Or as we have heard in like previous elections, where, you know, whether it be the Liberals or the Conservatives, left one out. What do you think, Jack? Oh me, okay. I didn't know you guys. Right. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they, uh, I, I, I would give her a pass, but you know, I'm being generous. I don't know that the other parties would be, you know, that generous. Oh, I don't think in this oh, type way. of situation oh, they would be. So, uh, I like that. I like them to do that, but they, they probably won't listen to me, right? You know, uh, right. especially that I don't think the Conservatives will listen to me at all. So, yeah,
0: uh,
1: we the Liberals. Yeah, they want that seat.
0: Uh, David, uh, let's face it. If we if we go to election, it's it's all about money, and you know they've all been fundraising right now. Uh, who's leading? Well, the
2: conservatives continue to to just outperform. It seems every every quarter, um, despite you know not doing very well in the polls, their their base is animated, and they've got a, a just a really strong machine that that can turn. Um, that that anger or or frustration into dollars. But we've seen, you know, even the New Democrats picking up pace uh, Mm -hmm. in their fundraising. Uh, The Liberals aren't doing poorly, they're doing pretty good. I think, you know, that suggests that the parties, money won't be a factor, I think, in what drives their decision. I think the New Democrats have paid off their debt. And that was probably something hanging over the New Democrats in in previous confidence votes. People would say, well, you know, they, they can't really afford an election. I don't think that's the case anymore. Even the Bloc has seen um, their their fundraising increase. They, they traditionally have a challenging time raising money in Quebec, but but they're they're improving as well. So, you know, despite the fact that I said that no one's really paying attention to politics, the parties have done actually a really good job at engaging um, their supporters and their donors. I think because we all know election will be coming at some point, and that's probably a really good motivator to get donors to 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 sign checks and. I guess we don't sign checks too much anymore, send the money digitally. uh,
0: Yeah, Yeah. e-transfer. Stephanie, C-19 is still not passed, and that was to give Elections Canada more flexibility to conduct an election in a pandemic, and uh, what kind of an impact do you see on that?
4: Uh, That will have a huge impact and that, um, you know, as a former election administrator, I'm very concerned about that because the big problem we're going to have just at the ground level is number one, finding actual polling places, because most of them that returning officers can use are churches, schools, community centers, all of which are closed. And the other one is finding enough election staff. And, um, you know, if you're a 76-year-old woman who's retired and you normally work the elections with your friends and it's a good time and you make a bit of money for the day, Are you willing to risk it with the variants running around, knowing that the people coming in may not be inoculated, knowing that even if you are uh, you have the vaccine, it's not you can still get and transmit the virus? Probably not. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely something they should be uh, clear eyed and uh, definitely focus on because it will impact our ability to have an election for people to have confidence in our election as well.
0: And uh, David, in, in terms of demographics, that's one of the last little things I wanted to touch on because it seems that there's some shifting in terms of age groups and, and who they support. And in particular, the millennials, uh, the NDP hoping to make, uh, make some hay with the millennials. Um, how do you see the different demographics impacting the next election? Well, I think age is, has been
2: a factor in the past. Throughout the pandemic, it's kind of, <laughs> It's gone back and forth, but certainly, you know, the NDP, the Green Party find far more support among younger Canadians than than they do among older ones. Um, the Conservatives typically do better among older Canadians. But apart from that youngest cohort, I think one of the most important um, demographic or socioeconomic drivers to vote right now, we've seen it in the UK and the US, is education, right? Is the split between those that have higher levels of education in those that don't, and and what that tells us about perhaps their worldview, their values. And and so, you know, I think the Liberals often fall into a trap where they talk a lot about issues that those with a university education want them to talk about, but they really alienate themselves from, mm-hmm. from more working-class voters, right? And I'm a, a huge, I guess, fan, junkie of, of British politics. And just this weekend, you saw the results of... What was going on in the uk and you had the british conservative party winning in seats that the labor party the, the left-wing labor party had won for you know 50 60 years up in the north of, of england you know these are like solid working class unionized kind of coal mining towns that hated margaret thatcher in the 80s mm-hmm. and yep. early 90s and now overwhelmingly voted conservative so we're seeing some realignment and that education class is is becoming the class less so, education and, and sort of cultural issues becoming key drivers. So age will be a factor. Uh, the NDP needs young people, but the Liberals need young people in order
0: to win because those millennials um, are the biggest cohort now in the electorate. All right, let's, uh, let's just go around the horn here uh, for a prediction uh, when we are going to have an election. Jack, when do you think?
3: I think we'd have one in the fall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, maybe it'll be stretched. It's going to depend on the COVID situation as well. And what that looks like, you know, when we come out of the other side of the summer, uh, but uh, that would be my bet at the moment. The other issue, of course, will be as Stephanie was alluding to earlier: the election process. Uh, you know, in terms of election reform, we're going to have a lot of mail-in ballots. If we have a lot of mail-in ballots, that's going to be to the advantage of the Liberals and the NDP uh, quite clearly, at least based on some of the polling that I've been looking at. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that would be my sense. All right, David, what's
2: your prediction? When, when do you think we will launch? I'm with Jack. Yeah. I, I don't see one happening before the fall. Look, we, we asked a question on our survey. On a scale from zero to 10, how happy are you? 10, you're, you're static, zero, you're hated, uh, you're, you're, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. Those that have gotten a vaccine are 10 points higher on that scale on average mm-hmm. than those that haven't. When we do get to 70, 75% of Canadians getting at least one dose, maybe two by the fall, that's when the Liberals are gonna want an election because people are gonna come out of the summer, they're gonna be vaccinated and then incumbents generally do better when people are happy.
0: Because
3: this explains why I'm happier. I got vaccinated, so.
0: There you go. Yeah, no kidding. All right, and and Carl, what do you think? You you wanna be on the campaign trail this summer or or you prefer to fall? (laughs) Absolutely,
1: I won't go. I'll tell you this. I wanna remind anybody watching us and my colleagues on the panel that there is a fixed election date law in Canada. I know it was passed by the Harper government. I don't know where where the Liberals landed even on the vote on that. But the Liberals have been in power since 2015. If they didn't like it, they had a majority in the first term. They could they could they could they could change it. They could amend it. They could they could rescind it. They didn't. So it is the law according to the fixed election date law. Our next election is in 2024. I mean that's when it is uh, in my lifetime. Government. We've had elections. We've ended minority governments and and had elections as a result of them, um, twice when the government was defeated on a confidence bill. It happened to uh, John Diefenbaker in 1963, and uh, it happened to Stephen Harper in 2011. And it's otherwise, minority governments in power have triggered the election because it was to their advantage, and they were exploiting the fact. In previous times that there was no law saying they shouldn't do it so the liberals somehow can get it's too bad Canadians aren't aware of that it it, it would be the NDP is not going to pull the plug on these guys they have to do something really ridiculous something really outlandish and something really entirely inconsistent with what they've done so far the NDP it's always has been argued a lot oh they're going to look like also rants they're going to look like Lap dogs, puppy dogs. It hasn't worked that way for them. The NDP has made a valid argument to their supporters, at least, that we are we are doing a constructive job in parliament and we're pulling the liberals along and we are leading the liberals. With 24 seats, we're leading the party in power, not the other way around. And a lot of people seem to be buying it. So why 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 mm-hmm. end a good thing for them? They, they'd right. be happy to keep this government going. So the government's going to have to pull the plug on itself. And what excuse would they have? What bloody excuse would they have when the law says we have a fixed date, the election is not, the reason we have that law is to, is to not make elections a political football, is to not give anybody an advantage to use the election date to their advantage. But the Liberals completely, you talked, no Liberals seem to be even aware. Their, their sense of Canadian history is extremely, extremely thin. They've forgotten Canadian history from a year ago. They just go around, they're all absolutely committed to an election because their feeling is the longer you wait, the harder it is. is. We're doing. They wish they could have an election now. Obviously, unless the pandemic is really terrible, they're hoping that we'll be looking at the pandemic in the rearview mirror in October and they can have an election on the second anniversary of the last one. But it is utterly scandalous, hypocritical, and unacceptable to me that they're doing it. I think either they should rescind that law or they should respect the law, which is the law of the land, which is unless you're defeated on a confidence bill, you wait until the fixed election date determines there's an election.
0: All right, and Stephanie, uh, your last, uh, when do you think we'll have that election?
4: Uh, Well, as we know, pandemic elections are very, very good for incumbents, the US being the big exception. So I actually agree with Jack. I think we're gonna be going in the fall. And uh, also long elections are really good for the Liberals. So expect a long campaign.
0: All right. Uh, I want to thank our guests on Unpublished TV, Stephanie Plant from the Center for Security, Intelligence, and Defense Studies at Carleton University. Jack Jedwab is the president and CEO of the Association of Canadian Studies. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data. And Carl Narenberg is the parliamentary correspondent for Rabble.ca. Now, coming up on our next Unpublished Cafe, we're going to take a look at Bill C-10. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.